Well, uh, so I was out in the lobby uh, just talking before services and bumped into David and Jennifer Solgrove, who uh, it didn't dawn on me initially that, that they don't attend here anymore because David's been the executive pastor at the Buckeye Christian Church in Columbus, uh, except tomorrow you begin at in Iowa. Okay, I didn't hear what you said about some Christian church in Iowa. And uh, uh, so, hey, can you come up here for a minute? I didn't ask him if he would. So uh, we'll, we'll see how this goes. But um, no, I just wanted to pray for you all because now, Jennifer, you all are going to be staying uh, in town until school is over, right? And, and all like that. So your house is going to go up for sale. So anyone looking for a house? And uh, so that's free advertising, man. And uh, <laughs> realtor fees. And... Uh, but anyway, no, I want to pray for you because that's just so exciting. So you are going to Iowa as the executive pastor. Tell me one more time. Bettendorf Christian Church. Bettendorf Christian Church. Quad Cities. Quad Cities. All right. But you will remain a Buckeye, not a Hawkeye. Correct. Amen, brother. Take, take the faith with you. That's all I'm saying. Listen, we're going to, as a, you know, because as a congregation, part of what we believe is that who, what, who we send out, the number of people we send, it's not about how many people we can gather together. It's about who we send out, whether it's all of us during the week here in this place, or it's folks on a mission trip, short-term mission trip, or if it's people going to serve uh, God full-time in ministry uh, in new places. That's, we think that is the strength of a church. So I want to pray for you all as you get started, all right? God, thanks for David and Jennifer and their love for you and how they, we see that reflected in their family and just watching. Uh, and so, God, we pray for them now as they begin a new uh, adventure for the sake of your kingdom. And we pray for not just your blessings on them, we, they have that, but your blessings through them uh, into the, the new church. God, that they would, you would speak through them and that they would honor you with their lives in such a way that people would be drawn to you there. God, thanks for their faithfulness to you and how they live that out each day in their marriage and their, as parents and as, as your kids uh, going to Iowa, faithfulness and moving. God, thank you for them. And we pray, uh, let's pray for them as they go. And we pray for a quick sell of their house and safety in their travels. And we pray this to your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, man. Take it to them. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so do you know what the tallest trees are in the world? Tallest trees in the world. Redwood trees, all right? So they grow, I, I'm pretty sure everyone said that, that I heard, you know, mumbling around the room. Uh, easily reach 300 feet tall. Begin from a seed no bigger than a tomato seed. Uh, they grow as tall as 35-story Buildings. Now, you would think that a 350-foot-tall tree would need deep roots. But, and I don't know what you know about redwoods. That is not the case at all with them. They do not have a deep root system. As a matter of fact, their roots are very shallow. They may only go five to six feet deep, but they make up for it in width. Because while they only go five or six feet deep, they can go 100 feet out from their trunk. So, here's what I want to make sure that you know. Redwoods never survive alone, ever. They, do, they, do, they survive in tribes or communities, and sometimes they grow so close together that they'll merge. Their bases will merge together uh, into one tree. The entire system relies 
on the rooted connections. So in case anyone is concerned, this morning is not about redwood trees or about landscaping. Uh, so collective sigh, uh, if you would there. But I wanted you to know this because of what we're talking about in this series. Uh, last week, Jason shared Psalm uh, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night? That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And Jesus, uh, Jason reminded us last week that Jesus followers, that as Jesus followers, the roots of our faith grow strong when we spend time with God through his word, through prayer, through worship, our lives like the roots uh, of, uh, of the trees being just being united, just blending in together with his. And so we're just all tied uh, together. Um, uh, but uh, but I want to I want to show you I want to see I want to see those two verses because I want to take you one verse up. If your Bible is open to Psalm chapter one, or if you have the U version open to Psalm chapter one, this is the verse that precedes verses two and three. Blessed is the one who does not walk in uh, in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. So I want you to see that. Because as we look at what it takes to be good, strong Christians, uh, be rooted in our faith, these verses tell us that we need to be careful about who we hang out with because the people we spend the most time with have the best opportunity of influencing us for good or for bad. That's why Paul would write all the way in the New Testament, don't be fooled. Bad companions ruin good character. So, I, so that's true, but the opposite of that is true as well, and it's what we're talking about. So on your handout, uh, if you're filling in the blanks, the people around me can grow faith within me. So they can have a bad influence on you, but I want to make sure that you understand they also can have a great influence on you. The company that we keep helps determine the growth of our relationship with Jesus. I hope, I just want to make sure you get that. The first description of the early church is found in Acts chapter 2. Uh, following the day of Pentecost. By the way, the day of Pentecost is the day uh, where the disciples are gathered in a room. The Holy Spirit descends on them. Peter preaches the first Bible message about repentance and forgiveness, the truth of the gospel. As a result of that, 3,000 people are baptized and became Jesus followers that day. So that's the day the church, that's the day the church began. If you're ever wondering where the beginning of the church is, that's it. Acts chapter 2, beginning of the church. Right after that, we read this in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Last August, we did a series that we called 242, which actually breaks those four things down. Uh, and if you want to find out more about why we devote ourselves here at MCC to the four things mentioned here in these verses, I would hope you'll check that out at our website. But we're going to keep moving this morning. Verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were what? Together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet seriously. Every day they continued to meet together. There we go. In the temple courts. As a matter of fact, they broke bread in their homes and they ate. Yeah, you should really got, you've got that word down, right? Okay, uh, with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, there's one word that I want to focus on in, our, uh, in the description of the early church, and you may not have noticed it because I'm just that subtle. Uh, but that one word uh, is emphasized three times in those six verses, and that word is together. That's the word we're looking at because in verse 40, 44 it says, uh, in verse 44 it says, all the believers. That was the space between verse 43 and verse 44. Verse 44 says all the believers were, right? And in verse 46, it says every day they continued to meet. And in verse 46, it also says they broke bread in their homes and ate together. Togetherness, if you want, it, if you want a word, one of the words that identified the early church was the word together. They realized, they recognized that a common spirit, this group togetherness, was part of uh, what would make the church uh, grow. This sense of togetherness could and should be identified in all true biblical communities. So from what we see was important to the early church, should be important to us as well, on your notes, I want to make sure you get this, community is at the core of who we are. Community togetherness. Initially, the early church, when you read the history of the church, they met every day to come together like this for worship. Later in the book of Acts, however, they go from meeting every day to meeting once a week like we do uh, for worship. So first we see that they were together for corporate worship and for the enjoyment and encouragement of each other. But we also see that the early Christians didn't stop at this level. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, actually wrote the books, the Gospel of Luke and Acts, kind of a volume one and two, ministry of Jesus, and then what happened afterwards. Uh, says in verse 46, they broke bread together in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So the second place that we see the church together is in homes. So in your notes, I want to make sure you get this. Caring is at the core of community. So the church is about community, and if we're about community, we're about caring. We do not come together. Listen, we're not together this morning simply for the sake of getting together. It's not, it's not why we're here. We have come together so we can take care of each other. Hebrews 10 says it this way, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Again, the need for togetherness is stressed even later in the New Testament, but it's important. It's not just togetherness for the sake of being together. The purpose of meeting together, whether it's corporately or in homes, is to encourage one another. Always has been. It still is today. Pastor Rick Warren, who's out in California, said this, Many people make the mistake of thinking all they need to grow spiritually is God's Word and prayer. And you do need those two things. But the truth is we need people to help us grow. As a matter of fact, he went on to say Christ-like character is built through relationships, not in isolation. There are many things God wants you to learn about life that you'll never learn on your own. You only learn them in community. So, I've asked a member of our congregation, her name is Barb Stanifer, uh, if she would join me up here this morning. And uh, uh, Barb <laughs> is the leader of our group, Run for God. You just clanked all the way out here. I don't know if you all heard that or not. Uh, 
She's the leader of our group, Run for God. And uh, you had a couple of passages that you kind of hung on to, uh, kind of drove the group. One of them is Joshua 1.9, where God says to the Israelites, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And Philippians 4.13, I can do all things, right? Through Christ who gives me strength. So this program, just so we catch everybody up, our Run for God program last year, first time we ever did it. Right. How long does it last? 12 weeks. And what, what are you doing with Run for God? Why do we do that in the church? We do a Bible study. We do running education and group runs. Okay. With the goal of a 5K at the end. 5K. 3.1 miles. There you go. I was going to say 3.1 miles sounds a whole lot less than 5Ks. So, but this isn't the first time you've run. You're a runner. You've run. Right. Okay. Right. Some of us run from the chair to the refrigerator, chair to the bathroom. You do more than that, right? Yeah, I've done 5Ks, 10Ks, and a half marathon. Half, half, half marathon. Only one. How many of, for you, that's one more than you've done? <laughs> there we go. That's what I'm talking about right there. Okay, so what got, so you're a runner, but that, you, this is the first time you did run for God, right? What got Correct. you started on that? Um, about two years ago, my brother-in-law liked it on Facebook. Okay. So I went looking at it, and I thought, well, there's none of those run going in my area. So, uh, uh, well, that's nice. And then um, last year, um, Ken was coming out of a stem cell transplant. Ken is your husband. My husband. And I had the chance to retire. So I thought, okay, I want to help people get moving so that they feel good. And I saw on Facebook, again, the instructor's kit for Run for God was at a discount. I bought it. And then I called Adam Leopard and I said, I want to do this. He said, how soon? So Adam Leopard is our discipleship pastor. If you yeah. don't know, he oversees awesome. all of our groups. Awesome. He's okay. All right. But all right. <laughs> okay. So we started the group. We had 11 sign up and in, I've done couch to 5k programs before and people, there's always somebody, a couple of them who don't finish. Okay, so you don't have 100%. But in our program, seven of those 11 had, no, had never run a 5K before. But at the graduation, graduation run, um, the 5K, all 11 completed it. So for the first time ever in any group you've ever been part of. Right. That's right. And you're seeing pictures. You were looking at pictures of them a moment ago on the screen. You weren't. They no, were. I was. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So t a little bit of the group, you had some folks who maybe you were a little afraid weren't going to make it. Number one, because most of the groups you've been in, all the groups you've been in before this one, not everyone made it. Correct. But there are also some special circumstances. You had some folks that were... Well, the, the age range, first of all, on our group was 25 to 65. And there were some of them I, I thought, I thought, okay, um, I know they had doubts they would finish it. So, of course, if they have doubts, and I have doubts. Um, but as we went through the program, a couple of them, I'm going to tell you their stories. Um, Becky Isaman was one. Um, she's fighting an autoimmune disease, and she thought she could do this as long as God was with her, but she didn't tell anybody she was participating except her husband. So um, by week five or six, she knew she was in it for the long run, and I think she could start sharing it then. But she, what the great thing having her around was she's really into the essential oils, so 
those who had some trouble breathing, here's some lozenges I've got, and those who had some muscle aches, here's some of this stuff I have. So she oh, was really great. This is like one great. big commercial this morning. It is. Okay. It is. I have more if you want, but. And then another runner, the first one to sign up, in fact, was Danielle Bell. Um, they said I could use their name, so we're good. Um, but she had some concerns with some um, injuries I think she'd gotten while in the military. So as she started running, she was struggling. She has shin splints and some other pains and um, was having trouble breathing. The cool thing about her is on the fourth week, um, she was struggling more. I think we were at um, 90 second and three minute runs um, during that session. So I stayed and ran with her. And all of a sudden, I think our last run, her song came on, which was in the eye of the storm. I thought, oh, this will be good for her. So I started singing it. And then all of a sudden, she takes off and starts running ahead of me. I'm like, what's up with this? Was there any correlation between you singing and her taking off? That could be. That yeah. could very well be. Nice point. Thank you. So, and then at the end, when that run session was to stop, I yelled, stop. So everybody, and everybody stops right now. Except her, she kept right on going. So finally, when I caught up with her, I'm like, Danielle, what was that about? And she goes, you know what? I, I listened to the words of that song, and I thought, I am my own barrier. I am the one holding me back. God, let's go. And they, they went. Now, the thing about Danielle is she did not complete the program with us, but she was part of our Facebook group, and everybody's telling, come on back, come on back. She had some life stuff going on that was getting in her way. But Danielle um, finished the run with us at our 5K graduation. So, okay, yeah. So all this clanking that you're doing up here um, is because of what's around your neck. Tell me, just tell us a little bit about that. Everybody got, everybody got a um, medal to complete the run. So that was their so graduation medal. So you finished medal. the run, you got a medal. Right. Okay. And um, the other thing is of the uh, seven that had no um, experience, four of them placed in their age group. Is that incredible? Or what? I think that's incredible. All right. And part of, part of being part of this group, your shirt, they can't see it because of all of your bling. But um, part, part of the, another part of the goal of this group is when you go, everybody has to have a shirt. So their shirt is run for God with this funny little stick figure on it. So what the goal is that we have enough shirts there that people are like, what is going on here? And that somebody will come up to you and ask the question and you can share their story and maybe start their relationship with God as well. Okay. Is that, I think that's cool. There's something, there's something that affected you on this, though, as the leader. I just love this program. I just can't tell you. Um, I was talking to somebody else. I said, you start talking, you start asking me about this program, and you're going to walk away, and I'm still talking. But um, I think what it was in the beginning is I had some doubts about the whole thing, and then as we went through our Bible study and everything, I thought, you know what, God's got this. So I just built my trust in him that if he's gonna put you on a mission, he's gonna finish it, help you finish it, be right there with you. Wow, all right, well, thank you for sharing that. By the way, so Barb's gonna be in the back of the room after this service, because the next group starts March 21st, right? March 21st. Yeah, and so if you wanna be part, if you've never run before, so of all of the folks in your group, seven had never run this far before. Seven. If you've never done it, you can, other people encouraging you, you can do this. You can, so, all right. Here's another little incentive. The Goal Run has a pancake breakfast after it. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Barb. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 
Listen. Running with people, doing it together. So on your handout is this question. What's been the greatest influence on my life? What has been the greatest influence on my life? And I wonder, I wonder if at, at some point it, someone is going to mention Barb Standifer's name because of what she did, right? I know that when I was in youth ministry for 13 and a half years, I asked former youth group members years after. As a matter of fact, I was talking to one of, the, one of our guys this week. We connected online. Years after they graduated from high school, what do you remember from our group? I was shocked to find out. They, none of them quoted from one of the lessons I taught. Can you believe that? None of them said, I remember you just spouting forth the Word of God. Nobody said that. And, and I'm going to bet that if you answered that question out loud, what has been the greatest positive influence on my life, specifically spiritually, specifically about that. It's not going to be one of our Sunday morning messages. It's not going to be a lesson from a class. It's not going to be a great seminar that you've been to. Although, listen, I'm going to bet in all three of those places you have heard some great stuff. And that's not to underscore the importance of lessons or the messages you've heard. Because the Bible says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The Word of God is powerful. It's just that when I think of what has influenced me most, most in my faith, it's not a lesson. It's a person who's living this out. Granny Walters, my mom, Gary and Beth Clark, Mr. Bradley, Jack and Ruth Smith, Tommy Oaks. Listen, I, I hardly remember any lessons I've learned specifically. But there are a lot of people... I will never forget who modeled what it looked like to live a life of faith. And I'm going to bet when you answer that question, it's going to be more names than it, than it is anything else. So do you know why? All right, here we go. Here's why on your notes, uh, Jesus followers, help me learn how to be loyal to other Jesus followers. So I need time with Jesus followers because we're going to influence each other who are going to be loyal to me and me to them. Proverbs 17 says, a friend loves at all times, a brother is born for adversity. So here's the question, do you have friends who are loyal to you like that, and are you loyal to them in good times and in bad? I like this quote, prosperity begets friends, adversity proves them. When life is good, everyone wants to be your friend. When the chips are down, when life is tough, who is standing beside you? Because that proves to you who your real friends are. I love the way C. Raymond Brand defines a friend. He said, friends are people with whom you dare to be yourself. Your soul can be naked with them. They ask you to put on nothing only to be what you are, and they do not want you to be better or worse. When you are with them, you feel as a prisoner who has been declared innocent. You don't have to be on your guard. You can say what you think as long as it's genuinely you. Friends understand those contradictions in your nature that lead others to misjudge you. With them, you breathe freely. You can avow your little vanities and envies and hates and vicious sparks, your meanness and absurdities. And in opening them up to friends, they are lost, dissolved on the white ocean of their loyalty. They understand. You can weep with them. You can sing with them. You can laugh with them. You can pray with them. Through it all and underneath, they see, know, and love you. Listen, isn't that loyalty? We need friends like that who will understand everything about us and still love us. Even when you say or do the wrong thing, they don't give up on you. They still love you. 
Someone said a loyal friend is someone who knows you well enough to ruin you, but never will. We all need friends like that who are following Jesus and will help us do that as well. Grows your faith. Here's the next one. I need time with Jesus followers who will hold me accountable because there's something about being accountable to people that help us grow in our faith. So do you have a friend who will do that, who will keep your thinking in check, who is not afraid to question you, the things that you say or the things that you do? Proverbs 27 says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Listen, do you have a friend that when they wound you, you know they have your best interest in mind? Love the story about the little boy who fell out of bed, and when his mom asked him what happened, he said, I don't know, I guess I stayed too close to where I got in. Uh, I don't know if you have people like that or not in your life. They will help you stay away from the edge because some of you are struggling in your relationship with Jesus. And my guess is you feel like God's let you down and you are, you're doubting the reliability of his word and you need someone who knows you and loves you and will share with you but will not judge you when you say those things, but they'll pray for you and listen to you. Some of us are struggling with our relationship with our spouse, and you don't recall the last date you've been on together. Truth is, you don't want to go on a date with them. There's bitterness. There's unresolved tension in your relationship, and you are in deep pain. And tragically, your marriage is dying a slow death, and you haven't told anyone about it. And you're not sure you have anyone in your life you could tell about that. Or maybe you're struggling with the desire to be in a relationship. You're single, and more than anything, you want to be married. And what's holding you back uh, is you're afraid to confide that secret with someone who will encourage you. And at the same time, uh, encourage you to honor Jesus in the decisions that you make while you wait for his will to unfold in your life. Some of us are struggling in our role as a parent. Others of us are struggling in our role as adult children now parenting our parents. Some of us are overwhelmed with what it means to be a teenager in a culture that permits you, even encourages you to do what the Bible quietly cautions you to resist. Who are you talking to about that? Who is it that's listening to you and will hold your decisions accountable to the faith that you claim to have? Ephesians 4 says this, tell each other the truth because we all belong to each other. Tell the truth about yourself, the things you're afraid of, the th your doubts, the hang-ups you have. Now, this doesn't just mean confessing your deep, dark sins. Confessing isn't just admitting what's going on in your life. It's also saying, I'm having some doubts today. I'm worried about this today. I feel kind of lonely today. You know what? I'm having a hard time forgiving that person. Or I, and maybe, you know, this time of year, I don't know why, but I just feel a little depressed. I'm discouraged today. You know, James 5.16 tells us that we are to confess our sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So it says... Uh, Confess your sins, what are the next words, to who? One another. We can confess our sins to one another. Notice it doesn't say confess them to a priest. It doesn't say admit them to a pastor. It doesn't say admit them to God. It doesn't say admit them to a counselor. 
It says admit them to one another, confess them to one another. That's your group. And pray for each other so that, right, you may be what? Healed. Big difference, by the way. This is really important. Big difference between forgiveness and emotional healing. They are not the same. You want forgiveness for something in your life? You talk to God. Because the moment you ask for forgiveness, He forgives you for it. But a lot of people, right, once they confess something to God, they still feel guilty. They can't let it go. That's partly because the God of the universe wired us in such a way that emotional healing does not come just from telling God. He already knows, right? That's about forgiveness. It comes from telling somebody else who doesn't know. That's where emotional healing comes into play. If you want forgiveness, you confess it to God. You want emotional healing, you want to get it behind you, you tell it to somebody else. To be clear, not everybody else, but somebody else. Trusted individual, spiritual partner. Okay, one more. Uh, uh, At any time, uh, I need time with Jesus followers who will accept me. You can see how these all fit together. Romans 15 says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Listen, do you know why it's hard to accept other people? Because they're different from us. And sometimes what we do, and I I wonder if we don't all do this, is we take our strengths and then we compare other people to the things that we're really good at. For instance, some of you are on-time people. You're on time all the time. You're great at being on time. I mean, that's just the way of life for you. And then there are others of us who are not quite on-time people. And those whose strength it is to be on time, you ever find yourself looking around at other people? I mean, almost enjoying it, right? As they come in late and you think, why can't they be on time? I'm always on time. Why can't they be on time? Or, or some of you are tidy people. Everything is nice and clean. And sometimes when you go into other people's houses, you just kind of notice, right? And you don't say anything about it. It just makes you feel better about yourself, right? Because you're nice and tidy. And why aren't they? 1 Corinthians 12 uh, Paul's talking about different parts of the body and how we all have different gifts and that God works through all these different people, but it's the same God working toward one thing through all these different people and all these different gifts because God has made us different. So how do you tell when you've accepted someone? One of the tests is you stop insisting they be just like you. That's how you know if you've accepted them. You realize and rejoice in the fact that they're different because God has made all of us in different ways to do all different kinds of things so that everything that needs done in the world can get done. The goal of a small group, the goal of a family, the goal of any group is not to mold people in your image because God has created us to be different. We want to be in God's image. We want to be like Jesus. And that means affirming each other's uniqueness. Acceptance means you are valuable just as you are. It allows you to be the real you. You are not being forced into someone else's idea of who you should be. Aren't those kind of people you want in your life? Accept you on that kind of level? Sarah Grant said this should be on your notes. Our opinion of people depends less upon what we see in them than upon what they make us see in ourselves. So your next step, two questions. Do I have friends like that? Do you have people in your life that are Jesus followers who do that for you? They will hold you account. They are loyal, but man, they will hold you accountable even though they accept you just as you are. Do you get, I mean, that's 
quite a trip right there. Do you have friends in your life like that? Because if you don't, you need them. Oop, can you put the, am, I, am I a friend like that? Not just what people are doing for you, but are you a friend like that? You know, last fall we had 50 of our leaders together, and we asked them what has helped you in your time with others, helped you grow in that. And some of them mentioned their small groups. Uh, and so, if, listen, if you're not part of a small group here at MCC, I want to encourage you to do that. Some of them mentioned a class like the Rooted class that we've got going on. Jason mentioned it in the video. Uh, Adam will be in the back of the room today uh, right over here. You can sign up for that if you would like. Some of our leaders mentioned just being involved in a ministry because you meet people you wouldn't have otherwise met serving with them. Others said it's just a matter of being intentional. I had to make myself do this. And so maybe if that's where you are, it's about being intentional in that decision so that we can have friends like that because they point us to Jesus. Look at what he said. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Does loyal, accountable, and accepting sound like Jesus to you? Loyal, accountable, accepting. Does that sound like Jesus? Look what he says next. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So he points us in the direction of what we need most in this life. And then he tells us about himself. Because we've come to this time of communion now, when we remember who Jesus has called us to be and the price that he paid for us for the forgiveness of our sins. And so right now, it's, it's about to be a time to remember, but it's more than that. As we talk about the relationships, the people who influence most our faith allow us to, to be better at following him. This time as we take these emblems that remind us of his body and his blood also remind us to say yes to the next step of our faith in Christ. Let's go to him. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being loyal to us and for uh, accepting us just the way we are and yet holding us accountable that we might move forward in our relationship with you. And God, this time that we have right now is about reminding us that you paid this price that was huge for us. But it's more than looking back, it's, it's moving forward. And so even this time when we look back is about also moving forward in our walk with you and bringing into our lives the kind of people who will help us and encourage us to be like you so that others can see and want to know you as well. So God, use this time of remembering to help us point forward. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.